When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Thank you for listening to this Billy Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we'd go Billy Up, so we made it our name. And we're still here. Coming up on the Behind the Mic podcast, opportunities opened up the gates to greatness at the quarterback position for athletes of color. Records have been set and history has been made, but there's still a long way to go. Their story continues. You're behind the mic with Michael Neal Jr. And action! NFL historians, y'all know this show isn't for you. The pompous ones. Not every NFL historian. But this show isn't for you. This is for those who don't know as much. So we're here to help them out, to enlighten. But please, people, anybody, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm always here to learn. It's the Behind the Mic podcast. I'm your host, Michael Neal Jr., fresh off of work at Federal Express. This show is presented by the Billy of Sports Podcast Network, presented by Billy of Sports. Also, check us out, BillyUpSports.com. I did that a little out of order than what I usually do. But you can catch this show especially, as well as others, on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, all of those great platforms. Getting right to it. Look, there's a thing that I love saying when any of the conversations about who the greatest of all time is. The GOATs, right? When I think about Jerry Rice and Michael Jordan, for instance, My thought process is this. I respect their journey of their careers a lot more than I do the modern athlete. Why? They didn't have the same resources in high school and some of them in college and even some of the things on the professional level. They played under different rules and regulations. Simply put, it was just harder. I'm not saying that it's any less harder when it comes to the modern day athlete, but there's a lot more or, or I could say it either way, there's a lot less that modern day athletes have to deal with than the old school athletes. And if the roles were reversed, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I'm not going to say that someone couldn't make it back in this era or whatnot, but it is what it is. History is already 
been done. It, their, their careers have, have already been etched in stone and it's over with already. It is what it is. And it was simply harder than it was, harder than it is now. I feel the same way about any quarterback of color that has had some measure or any measure of success for that matter in the eras that they have played because they either had or still have to endure more and they definitely have to play a lot better than their white counterparts. Quarterbacks are already held to a higher standard than any position in sports. Okay, I want to make sure that you heard what I'm saying. Any position in sports, basketball, hockey, tennis, baseball, badminton, I don't care. Any position in sports. And if you're a minority, you're held to an even higher standard. Just imagine being a black quarterback. <laughs> I'm serious. I mean, it's simple. I believe Tyrod Taylor once said that we have to be perfect. This was after he lost his job when he was the quarterback for the Buffalo Bills a year after getting the Bills to the playoffs to Nate Peterman, who went on to throw, what, a gazillion interceptions, and he basically showed that he wasn't ready for that smoke yet. Wasn't ready. But that being said, previously on the Behind the Mic podcast. So it was clearly established last week the mindset of most people when it came down to whether or not minorities could play quarterback as well as sports for, you know, just basically in sports for that matter. Prejudice was involved. The trailblazers that came before, names like Fritz Pollard, George Telefaro, Willie Thrower, Marlon Briscoe. Then between 1969 and 1978, you have some quarterbacks of color with firsts. Marlon Briscoe was the first quarterback to start an NFL game, technically. James Harris was the first African-American to be an opening day starter, also win a playoff game, and make the Pro Bowl. And of course, he won MVP. He didn't start that game, I found out. Let's not forget Joe Gilliam, who was the opening day starter for the eventual, eventual Super Bowl champion, Pittsburgh Steelers, who had a winning record. Despite that, he was still pulled in favor of Terry Bradshaw. We talked about Vince Evans last week, who came in in 1977. But there hasn't been an African-American selected in the NFL draft before the sixth round at that point, which brings us to today's show. Going into their third NFL season after expansion, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers would select Grambling quarterback Doug Williams with the 17th pick of the 1978 NFL draft. Williams had become an HBCU legend as a four-year starter for legendary coach Eddie Robinson. He, he had a 36-7 record. He had three SWAC titles. And he was the two-time Black College Player of the Year and finished fourth in Heisman voting. That's a resume that would get most quarterbacks drafted in the first round. And Doug Williams became the first African-American to have been selected that high. And I'll get to what I watched over the weekend because, I mean, college football, that's all I did this past weekend was watch college football. That's what you should do if you're a fan of football, college football, especially. Saturday, I mean, I left the house, but I still had my phone on. Thank you, Hulu Live TV. And I didn't miss hardly anything. Didn't miss hardly anything. It was, it was great just doing nothing all day but watching football. <laughs> but it's football, NFL football starts this week. We have the kickoff game this Thursday night coming up, right? 
It's the Cowboys visiting the Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Voila. A year ago, Thursday Night Football 2020 opened the COVID season with the defending Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs playing host to the Houston Texans. One great moment was seeing Deshaun Watson of the Texans and Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes meet at midfield or whatnot. But we don't think a whole lot about that, right? Because uh, you you have some some black quarterbacks out there, some guys of color, and we don't think about it as much. But, you know, we're used to it, right? Let's rewind. September 30th, 1979, Soldier Field, week five. The 2-2 Bears played host to the 4-0 Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Two of the NFL's promising young quarterbacks, Vince Evans, and Doug Williams were the starters. It would be the first time in NFL history where two black starting quarterbacks would play in the same game. They started and played in the same game. The Buccaneers defeated the Bears 17-13 that day to remain the NFL's only undefeated team, but NFL history had been made. Great. That year, Doug Williams quarterbacked the Bucs all the way to the NFC Championship game for the right to face the Pittsburgh Steelers in Super Bowl 14. They came up short, I think it was nine to nothing against the LA Rams. Williams remained the starting quarterback all the way through the 1982 season, leading them to their first three playoff appearances. Get this, he would eventually leave that franchise after a contract dispute. Why? He was the lowest paid starting quarterback in the league at $120,000. And that was lower than 12 black backups, excuse me, not black up, backup quarterbacks that they were what they were getting 12 that was lower than what 12 backup quarterbacks were getting Williams asked the owner at the time Hugh Culverhouse for a $600,000 contract and that tight wad only offered $400,000 head coach John McKay at the time he tried convincing Culverhouse to pay the man but he wouldn't do it Williams sat out the whole 1983 season before playing for the USFL's Oklahoma Outlaws in 1984. That would leave Vince Evans as the only black quarterback in the NFL in 1983. And of course, if you know anything about Evans, I think he followed um, he followed Williams into the USFL in 1984, the next season. Well, Williams' rights would be traded to the Washington football team in 1986, the next season. Williams would eventually take over for starter Jay Schrader as head coach Joe Gibbs basically felt that they had a better chance of winning with Doug Williams. The result, the Washington football team would go all the way to Super Bowl 22, Jack Murphy Stadium in San Diego, California. Doug Williams became the first black starting quarterback in Super Bowl history and the first MVP. He led the Washington football team to a 42-10 victory over the favored Denver Broncos that day. He threw for 340 yards and four touchdowns. Those four touchdowns came in one quarter, by the way. And Washington scored a Super Bowl record 35 points in that quarter. Not bad. Barely he can he could play in the league. I think that's the whole question we have here. Can you or can you not play in the league? And there's plenty that can play opportunities you'll hear me say that a lot in the words of doug williams though during the super bowl parade how you like me now that was great meanwhile back in tampa let's go back to 83 the 83 bucks went 2 and 14 
and it would be 14 years before Tampa Bay would get back to the playoffs. I believe we've talked about that in the past. And head coach John McKay would step down after the 84 season. Classic. Coming up next, though, I mean, Doug Williams wasn't the only successful black quarterback in the 80s. And although he, along with James, Shaq Harris, and Vince Evans, were a part of some black firsts in NFL history, there was another that should have been right along with them. He had a six-year delay. Is it just me, or does the CFL seem to always be the landing spot for all minorities? I mean, for as long as that league has existed, even throughout the shows that I've done and all the reading that I've done, someone's always having to go to the CFL to play, especially play quarterback. If you want a shot of playing professional football, sometimes you have to go to CFL to the CFL to do that, and they did it. I'm, I'm looking at it in the 60s, the 70s, the 80s. I mean, it, it just never stops, especially at quarterback. Hmm. Well, Los Angeles native Warren Moon settled on the sport of football because of the responsibilities he took in basically helping his mother by working. His father had passed away when he was very young. I think he was around six years old. I cannot remember. But Moon in high school, he was an all-city quarterback. And apparently... He got snubbed to go and going to the high school all-star game. Well, and then the other thing I thought was pretty cool is the fact, and this isn't something that's new, obviously, but he used a different address in order to get into the high school that he played in because they had a better football program. Well, you know, imagine that. Now, he also, coming out of high school, he had an offer rescinded to play quarterback at Arizona State because they wanted him to be a defensive back. Typical. And you know, that, was, that was the same case for other schools as well. And it would continue after he set records when he decided to go to a two-year school, West Los Angeles College, as a freshman. He set a lot of records, but he would eventually get the opportunity to play quarterback at the University of Washington. In his three years there, Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting? Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Fight the racial insults, the calls for his job. You know, he led the... Huskies to a Pac-8 title by his senior year, and then that included him going, going to the Rose Bowl and beating the Michigan Wolverines. So obviously the man could play. Remember how we told you about George Telefaro? He was also, Moon was, afraid that he would not be drafted. Similar move Moon would make, he signed with the CFL, the Edmonton Eskimos, weeks before the NFL draft. He went undrafted. Proving him correct, and he made a good decision, obviously. Moon would become a CFL legend at quarterback. He had five consecutive Grey Cup victories. That's the Super Bowl for the CFL. 
And after those five consecutive Grey Cup victories, two Grey Cup MVPs, and become the first pro quarterback to throw for 5,000 yards in a season? Yes, before Dan Marino. I understand it was in the NFL that Marino did that. True. He would finally enter the NFL draft, well, enter the NFL rather, in 1984 at 27 years of age. The Houston Oilers won his rights for his services. And the first three years, though, they were not great, but he basically threw more interceptions than touchdowns. But a coaching change in 1986 helped turn things around. They started running that run and shoot. And in 1989, he was so good, he ended up becoming the league's highest paid quarterback. I think he signed um, a five-year a five-year, $10 million contract at the time. It was pretty big for you know quarterbacks at the time. He was the highest paid quarterback. <laughs> what? You know what I mean? Although in the 10 years that he was the Houston Oilers quarterback, they didn't have the exact same championship success that he had in Edmonton, but he was still great. He would go on to play 17 years in the NFL. And you add that with the six that he played in Canada, 23 years playing the quarterback position. He retired at age 44 after passing for 21,000 yards, over 21,000 yards in the CFL, and nearly 50,000 yards in the NFL. Keep this in mind. He finished in the top five in passing in NFL history, and he got to the league when he was 28 years old. What do you think he would have done if he played those extra six years? I'll stop there. Nine-time Pro Bowler, first-team All-Pro, Offensive Player of the Year in 1990, and AFC play, Player of the Year, Pro Bowl MVP, NFL Man of the Year, two-time passing yards leader. He's also the only black quarterback inducted into the Canadian Football Hall of Fame. And not just that, he's not just the first black quarterback inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, but he's also the first and only undrafted quarterback, well, the first undrafted quarterback to be inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I had Kurt Warner right, go right between my ears. Now, back in 1970, the first Division I all-black backfield in history was at the University of Southern California, and one of those backs was Sam Cunningham. I was leaving work earlier today literally you know probably a little more than an hour ago and i got in my car and the athletic had a you know a, a drop down on my phone an alert and it said that sam cunningham had passed away at age 71. i mean because of sam cunningham and, and for and many will point to the fact that the way they dominated alabama that changed the recruiting game in the southern part in the southeast eastern United States in the Southeastern Conference because when the legendary hat himself, Bear Bryant, Paul Bear Bryant started recruiting black players that changed everything. It's like USC is doing it and there was a couple other schools that was doing it and you just ran into an all black athletic black backfield I'm going to say it again and you got, you got beat and now you know you have to recruit those same guys. Opportunities man why is the South always the last? I've, I've lived in the South all my life. Born and raised in Nashville, Tennessee. South is always behind. Always behind. But Cunningham, God rest his soul, was an All-American in 1972. He was drafted in the first round in 73 by the New England Patriots. Twelve years later, his younger brother, 
Randall would be drafted in the second round by the Philadelphia Eagles in 1985 out of UNLV. Track guy, and he even could punt. After taking over the, for aging veteran Ron Jaworski, he would lead the Eagles and later on the Minnesota Vikings to the playoffs. A lot of playoff, uh, playoff games during his 16-year NFL career. But my personal favorite, but yet heartbreaking year for Cunningham, was in 1998 when he led the Vikings to a 13-1 record as a starter. They only lost one game all year. They were 15-1. And, and they got to the NFC Championship game against the Atlanta Falcons. But because of a missed field goal, I won't say your name, he, Northern Vikings, never got to the Super Bowl. A true dual-threat quarterback in Philadelphia is, look, I'm sure he would have made the Pro Football Hall of Fame had he never torn up his knee. And I think it was in 91. He was the Burt Bell Player of the Year, Comeback Player of the Year in 92. He made four Pro Bowls. He also had MVP votes finishing number two three times. That's how good he was. One guy was in front of him, one man away from winning the MVP. That's, that's, that's special. That's special. After Cunningham was drafted in 1985, there was a list of quarterbacks that would come through after him. Reggie Collier, he was drafted by the Dallas Cowboys in 1986. And as many as seven quarterbacks were brought in during the 1987 strike as replacement players. Then you had guys like Rodney Pete from USC and Andre Ware, the Heisman winner from Houston who was drafted seventh overall in 1990. And lest we forget, going further into the 90s, the Alcorn State legend himself Steve McNair. We mentioned him last week at Alcorn State, the second era McNair. His brother was the first, the current coach, Fred. Air McNair had 16,823 yards of total offense in his career. And he finished third in Heisman voting in 1994. Kind of reminds me of Doug Williams a little bit, right? McNair, he was selected third in the 95 NFL draft by the Houston Oilers who would eventually move here to Tennessee, to Nashville, and become the Tennessee Titans in 99, which, of course, was the magical year when the Titans made the Super Bowl. It came up one freaking yard short of be beating the St. Louis Rams. He was a three-time Pro Bowler and was also co-MVP in 2003 with uh, Colts quarterback Peyton Manning. This dude was one of the toughest quarterbacks I've ever seen playing through so many injuries left and right. But there was a couple of things I didn't know about Steve McNair. I didn't know that the Seattle Mariners drafted him in 91. And I also didn't know he was offered a full scholarship to the University of Florida to play running back. But he wanted to play quarterback. Thank God he went to Alcorn State. The Philadelphia Eagles, you know, the fans, they booed Donovan McNabb when he was picked in the first round. But they won a lot more with him at quarterback. And he also got them to the Super Bowl. 2001, the Atlanta Falcons made Michael Vick the first African-American quarterback to be picked first overall. Vince Young became the first black quarterback to win Rookie of the Year. Cam Newton and RG3, they won Rookie of the Year as well. After Vick, Jamarcus Russell in 2007, Cam Newton in 2011, Jameis Winston in 2015, and Kyler Murray have been selected first overall. It's getting better. It's getting better. And then you have two of the best quarterbacks in the league right now, Lamar Jackson 
and Patrick Mahomes, they both won league MVP, which speaks for itself. And Dak Prescott, he threw for so many year, yards before he broke his ankle that it took a couple weeks for people to even catch up. They can play. They can play. Obviously, not all of these guys were great on the next level, but it's about the opportunities. They should get more. Okay, I'm going to get this off my chest now. I thought about this driving into work this morning at 5.15. And I understand scouting and the recruiting game. And the best of the best, they're going to go to the better schools, right? They're going to go to the big-time schools and the, the private schools, which mostly they cost a lot of money unless someone's paying it for them. But what about the guys that can't afford it? There are some that are former NFL players, sons, and uh, what about the players that can't afford to go to those private schools, right? And some of those, they have the same ability, if not better than those kids, but it's about the opportunities. I also understand that there are thousands of athletes out there, and there are going to be plenty who are simply overlooked. So they'll get the opportunities because they go to such, uh, they may not get the same opportunities because they go to such small schools. And some of them, they don't have the grades. And I'll say it again for those who didn't hear me the first time. There's a reason why men and women of color have to work extra hard because you have positions that are so high and there's a high high standard for some positions. And when they see it's a minority, they're going to move the goalpost a little bit and the expectations and standards are going to go through the roof. Tyrod Taylor said it. You have to be perfect some of them but over the weekend i watched nothing but college football all right i enjoyed watching mckenzie milton come off the bench for florida state and that kid if you missed that game against notre dame it was great seeing him back out there basically after that knee injury that he had didn't think he was planning mary redeemed a fifty thousand dollar cash prize playing chumba casino this year i was only playing for fun so winning this was a dream come true chumba casino is america's number one social casino experience it's serious fun with over 80 casino style games to choose from you too could win life-changing amounts of cash be like mary log on to chumbacasino.com and give them a world that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary void or prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details the voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. And college football was on after church as well. Sunday afternoon, we watched Coach Prime, Deion Sanders, Jacksonville State, playing against Florida A&M. But uh, I need something better than 7-6. But I then turned it on NFL Network to see the hometown Tennessee State University, the TSU Tigers, playing against Grambling State. It was the Black College Football Hall of Fame Classic that was played of all places, at Tom Benson Field in Canton, Ohio, at the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I turned to my nephew and said during some of those many interviews that they had, they was talking to James Harris, Shaq Harris, who we've been talking about on the show, right? And I said, man, this is the guy, one of the guys I've been talking about on the show, because he listens. And and then that guy right there up in the booth with, with, uh, um, with the NFL Network guys, that's Doug Williams right there, I was talking about him too. The opportunities that HBCU athletes have or haven't had is what comes to mind. For instance, there have been 32 players inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame that went to HBCUs. And many, many others that actually got a shot to play in the NFL. But 
we would still like to see more HBCU players selected. Remember this. There were no HBCU players selected in last year's draft. Only one in 2020, four in 2019. But it's truly been proven that they can play. And looking at the Hall of Fame class of 2021, the Black College Football Hall of Fame class, he had Coy Bacon of Jackson State University. He was a three-time All-Pro. Greg Coleman, who was a punter at Florida A&M. He was the first African-American punter in NFL, in, in NFL history, rather. Uh, Jimmy Giles of Alcorn State. He was a tight end, a four-time Pro Bowler, Tampa Bay Buccaneers Ring of Honor. Winston Hill, offensive tackle for Texas Southern University. He was a Super Bowl III champion, a three-time All-AFL selection, eight-time Pro Bowler, three-time All-Pro, and was on the AFL, is on the AFL all-time team. And he was inducted into the New York Jets Ring of Honor. By the way, if I remember correctly, he was actually drafted by the Baltimore Colts as well. And he played for the Jets, who beat the Colts in Super Bowl III. Roynell Young, I think he played alongside Coach Herm Edwards for those Philadelphia Eagles. He made a Pro Bowl. He was selected in the first round by the Philadelphia Eagles. He played in Super Bowl XV. Coming out of Alcorn State, David Baker, who's the president of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, was saying during the broadcast that the NFL needs to be looking at these schools. I don't think they looking at them enough and understand COVID and all that. But at the same time, this is just me. That's not an excuse. It's not. It's not an excuse. It's, 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 there's no excuse for it. There's no reasoning for it. And, and, and whatever they say to me, it's more of an excuse than, than a reason. But HBCU athletes, just tell me if you know any of these names. Hugh Douglas, Nick Collins, and Donald Driver of the, uh, the Green Bay Packers. Detroit Lions fans, they should remember Robert Porsche. Or how about New England Patriots tight end Ben Coates? Ed Tutal Jones, Everson Walls for those Dallas Cowboys. Of course, Walls ended up going with the New York Giants. Had a nice long career. Steve McNair, Robert Mathis. Hall of Fame quarterback Joe Montana was thrown to two, counted, two HBCU wide receivers. The best of all time in Jerry Rice. And on the other side, John Taylor, who went to Delaware State. Greg Lloyd, Nate Newton, Arneas Williams. How about Good Morning America's Michael Strahan? HBCUs, Shannon Sharp, Uncle Shay Shay, you know, Club Shay Shay. You know what I mean? HBCU athletes. Old school historical names like Rayfield Wright and Bob Hayes, who played for the Cowboys. Larry Little, who was a pro, uh, all pro and Hall of Fame guard for Don Shula's Miami Dolphins. How about Mel Blount, L.C. Greenwood, John Starworth? You ever hear those guys that play for the Pittsburgh Steelers? I mean, come on, man. And how about one of their rivals, the Raiders, had Art Shell. And the, the Rams had Jackie Slater, big old giant tackle, and Deacon Jones. Walter Payton and Richard Dent. Come on, Jackson State and uh, TSU playing for the Chicago Bears, wearing Super Bowl rings. I'm pretty sure that the NFL is basically going to go with the sure thing, which is those name brand schools. I get it. But opportunities, man. There are 18 current players from HBCUs on NFL rosters. Of course, the most notable are like uh, Tariq Cohen, uh, excuse me, Tariq Cohen, the running back for the Chicago Bears, and uh, Javon Hargrave, defensive tackle for the Philly, Philadelphia Eagles. And everybody should know all-pro linebacker for the Indianapolis Colts, Darius Leonard. But taking it back to the quarterbacks, the whole point of these shows 
was to highlight just how far we have come, as well as how far we need to go. But after the Fritz Pollards and the George Telefaros and the Willie Throwers and the Marlon Briscoes, the James Harrises and the Doug Williamses and the Warren Moons, the Randall Cunninghams, there's a list where every NFL team eventually had at least one black quarterback to start for their franchise. Want to hear it? Here it is. I'll go through this as quickly as possible. In 68, Marlon Briscoe for the Broncos. The Bills, in 69, James Harris. In 73, the Steelers, first quarterback that was black, Joe Gilliam. 74, James Harris for the Rams. 75, J.J. Jones for the Jets. 76, Parnell Dickinson for the Buccaneers. In 77, the Browns had Dave Mays. 77, another one for James Harris under his belt. The San Diego Chargers. Excuse me, the San Diego Chargers, rather. Woo, what did I eat? In 1979, Vince Evans was the starter for the Bears. In 84, Warren Moon with the Houston Oilers. Randall Cunningham with the Eagles in 85. Reggie Collier in 86 for the Dallas Cowboys. Vince Evans, another first for the Raiders in 1987. Also in 87, Doug Williams with the Washington football team. Rodney Pete. For the Lions, 89, 94, Jeff Blake with the Bengals, 94, Warren Moon, and Warren Moon played for, he was the first black quarterback for a lot of teams, four to be exact. Warren Moon also was with the Vikings, the first black quarterback for the Vikings in 94, and also in 97 for the Seahawks. And just to fast forward, he was the first black quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs in 2000. And if I go backwards, in 99, Tony Banks was the first black quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens. Jeff Blake for the Saints, first black quarterback in 2000. Of course, the Falcons, they drafted him. Michael Vick in 2001. 2002, Rodney Pete with the Panthers. 2002 also uh, had Ray Lucas for the Dolphins, David Garrard for the Jaguars. A year later, Tony Banks with the Texans, Sean King for the Cardinals a year after that. In 2010, Troy Smith from Ohio State, Mr. Heisman. He's the quarterback for the 49ers, first, first black quarterback for them. 2013, the Packers, first black quarterback. 2013, Seneca Wallace. That took a long time. One of the oldest franchises in the league. And the Colts, Josh Freeman, he was the first black quarterback for the Colts in 2015. The next year in 16, the Patriots had Jacoby Brissett. And the last team, the last team to start a black quarterback was the New York Giants, and that was Geno Smith. Because the season was trash, and the Giants benched Eli Manning. And after they looked at Davis Webb, and they looked at Geno Smith, you know. So, and that broke uh, Eli Manning's consecutive game streak. Uh, it was the second longest behind none other than, I believe, I believe, it was Brett Favre at 210 games. So, you had a lot of firsts. And Warren Moon and Vince, Vince Evans and James Harris, they, they were pillars. Starting black quarterbacks we have today. You have Tua Tagovailoa, Lamar Jackson, Tyrod Taylor, Teddy Bridgewater, Patrick Mahomes, Dak Prescott, Jalen Hurts, Kyler Murray, Jameis Winston, Russell Wilson, and then the ones who have the potential, who just got into the league, and some young in the league, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, who was selected third, P.J. Walker, who's the backup right now in with the Panthers, Kellen Mond, and then there's the others who still, you know, they're hanging in there. Marcus Mariota, Geno Smith is still in the league, Jacoby Brissett, and Jordan Love. There's always room for growth. NFL, please get out there and find the next Warren Moon, the Randall Cunningham or Michael Vick. 
they're out there and then some. Stop giving us these excuses. How many of you athletes out there, though, think you have to play another position outside of quarterback to make it in college or even make it into the league? Don't settle. That's my message to you. Don't settle. All right, that's a wrap. These references, thank you to theshadowleague.com. Jason Woolard, first at 20, the first showdown of starting black quarterbacks. 2013, theputerplank.com, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. What if Hugh Coverhouse paid Doug Williams by Brandon Thornton? Bevel, the start, the excuse me, the state of the black quarterback. The Players Tribune dated September of 2019. NFL.com, NFL players from historically black colleges. NFL.com writer gets the credit. Adam Rank, NFL Network, the evolution of the black quarterback by Patrick Claybon and also Black College Football Hall of Fame.org. Don, excuse me, Dan Gartland. Dan Gartland, let's get his name right. Sports Illustrated, he wrote the article, the first black quarterback to start for each NFL team, and also Britannica.com. So, this has been the Behind the Mic podcast presented by Billy of Sports, Billy of Sports Podcast Network. BillyUpSports.com. You catch this show again, Spreaker. You can listen to it on Spreaker. It don't have to always be Apple or Spotify or Google. You can listen to it online. Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. Tell your family, tell your friends, tell your mom, your daddy. You better listen to my show. Oh, I will. I will definitely. I will definitely find your house out. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.